0: Uh, My name is Emmanuel, and my wife and I have been coming to Prav for a couple of months now, uh, and it's been a joy, it's been a pleasure, it's been exciting, it's been a blessing to be here at at Prav. Uh, We're not perfect at Prav, but when I read this text and I see what the early church did, I see that taking place here at Prav. And that we love the Lord together, Uh, we love each other together, we meet weekly in community groups, fellowship time, that's what the church is all about, and we also love our community cross purpose and other ways as well. We're doing what scripture tells us to do, not perfectly, but we're doing it nonetheless. So I want to congratulate you, Prov, congratulate congratulate us for doing what, what the Lord has called us to do as his body. We're in a three-week series titled, In All of the Trinity. In All of the Trinity. And and, and in this series, the the hope is that through this series that we will see a couple of things. Uh, We will see uh, why Christians say God is triune. Why we say God is something that is different from all of us in the fact that he is triune. I'm aware that some of us in here uh, don't affirm the Trinity. And I want to say we're glad that you're here. We want you to be here. And through this series, we're, we're talking about why it is that we believe God is Triune. Second hope for this, for this series is to provide us uh, talking points, or to be a guide for us if we're to explain or talk about the Trinity with someone else. Someone came up to you, told me about the God that you believe in. What are you going to say? Hopefully this series provides us a window or helps us uh, walk through what we would say to someone like that. And and finally, I hope this series leaves us in awe of the triune God. And the idea of being in awe, it means to be uh, awestruck, to be shaken, to be taken back at something mesmerizing. I think about bugs, flies, you have a fire around, what they do, they go towards it, it's mesmerizing. And the hope is that we will see that our God is mesmerizing, that he will leave us in awe. We're answering these three questions throughout the series. Why the Trinity? What is the Trinity? And how do we respond to God being the Trinity or being triune? Uh, Just a quick recap. Uh, Last week, we looked at why the Trinity and we saw that throughout scripture over and over again, there, there, there's evidence, there, there, there's concepts of God being multifaceted. He has a spirit that is him, but distinct from him. He has the word, he has a messenger that is him, but also distinct from him. And it's no wonder when this Jewish carpenter or builder showed up, people began to see him as being this God, being God's word and God's spirit also being who God is. When the apostles died, their, you might say their, their disciples, their followers, came up with creeds. And in their creeds, they made the de- de- declaration that our God is one being. He is one substance, but three distinct persons who are him, but also distinct from him. This is our triune God. And if our God is not triune, we are not affirming the God revealed in the scripture. Today, I want to look at what is the Trinity? When we say God is triune, what do we mean? What are we talking about God being triune? And here's the quick answer. What is the Trinity? The Trinity is the fact that there's one God, not three gods, not parts of God. There is one God who is three parts persons and the word persons is the best we could do but the the person is he is a father he is a son and he is a spirit and the three persons are one in essence you might say substance or even nature but yet distinct in their personhood so the father is God as the father and we say he is unbegotten or ungenerated I'll talk about that here in a second. The Son is God as the Son, and He is generated, He is begotten from the Father. And the Spirit is God as the Spirit, and He is breathed out, or He proceeds from the Father and or through the Son. And these three persons are one. The only distinction is that one is Father, one is Son, and one is Spirit. Now, the very fact that we say God is three persons... Tells us that our God is personal. In other words, he wants to relate with something or some things that are different from him entirely. He's relatable. And so today I want to look at how God is three persons. What do we mean when we talk about God being father, son, and being the spirit? Every religious organization, primarily churches, uh, they have what we call statements of faith, of belief, what they believe about certain things. And so here at Pro, we also have statements of faith. I invite you to check them out. It's online. What we say about the spirit is as follows. If you guys would mind, read this with me. on a count of three: One, two, three. We believe in the Holy Spirit? Earth. Awesome. Amen. This is our belief about the Holy Spirit here. When we say God is spirit, we're referring to this right here. Now notice a couple things. We say the Spirit came forth from the Father and the Son. The the theologians uh, throughout history, not just recent, not just back then, but throughout history, across space, across time, they've said eternally, which means there's no time, there's no beginning or end, eternally, You have this being called God, and from God the Father, there comes this spirit who is preceded or who is breathed out from the Father, and he's breathed out from the Father and the Son. Comes out as breath, and it's no wonder in creation, it's no wonder in Scripture, the spirit is sometimes referred to as God's breath. The Hebrew word for breath or for spirit is rock. Everyone say rock. Got to have the in the back of your throat. He is the ruach of God. And the word ruach means spirit, wind, or breath. So in Genesis verse two, or 1 verse 2, it says God's ruach is hovering over the waters. God's spirit, God's breath is hovering over the water. In Genesis 2, God uh, forms man from dust. And this man, this thing is created, it's laying there, it's lifeless. And we're told God breathes on him and this person becomes a living thing. In the gospels, Jesus, after his resurrection, sees the disciples and says, hey, he breathed the spirit upon them. The spirit is the breath of God. And he proceeds as such eternally, which means there's no beginning there's no first or second. He is the breath of God. Accordingly, the Spirit is sent to give life. Amen. He is sent to sanctify. He is sent to empower, to guide, to encourage as the breath or wind of God. Amen. Now, there's one thing the Spirit does that I want to focus on today. There's, there's a lot, but I want to focus on one. And we see it here in one of our passages in Romans Eight verse 26. This is probably one of Paul's uh, greatest chapters, in my opinion, in the book of Romans. And in verse 26, Paul says the following, in the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses or weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us, check this out, with unspoken groanings. It says the Spirit intercedes for us he intercedes on our behalf now the common understanding of interceding is to be a person who takes the middle ground to be a middle person so for example you have someone over here who's arguing who's frustrated who's talking with someone over here they're going back and forth while the middle person is an intercessor a sensor standing between them trying to make sure they understand each other our text is written in a language called Koine Greek, ancient Greek. And in Koine Greek the word for intercessor is not someone who stands in the middle, rather it's someone who aligns himself with one party against the other party. Big difference there. They're not going back and forth, they're picking one side against the other party. Another word for this you might say is an advocate. An advocate who aligns and advocates for someone over the other. I was born in the Congo. And when I was about six years old, my parents had to leave because of political unheaval happening there. And so my mom came first and she came with with a one-year-old, God bless her heart, and she came pregnant with my sister Karen to a country she had no idea what it was like. She did not speak the language at all. She came by herself with a one-year-old and pregnant with my sister Karen. Eventually, Karen was born here. Mom had, a di- had difficult times here, but God was great. She's merciful t- t- towards her. Uh, about seven months later, my dad followed by himself and came here. Well, here's, what the- here's the thing. My parents did not see each other for a long time. They were separated. So here's my mom in this country. She opens a yellow book. Yellow books, remember those things? Right now we have Google, okay? Back then we had yellow books. For those of you who don't know, yellow books are basically books that you had with numbers on them, okay? <laughs> so you want to look up someone's number? Go to yellow book. Tom Cruise? Oh, Tom Cruise, oh, yellow book, okay. okay. Goes to yellow book, discovers that in English, the word for avocat, I'll talk about that in a second, is lawyer. And in, in the Congo, a lawyer is called is avocat, an, an advocate, who does more than just law stuff. Looks up a lawyer, finds a random lawyer calls them, leaves a message in French, saying, my husband is lost. I'm here with, with two little kids. I need help. Please help me. The lawyer hears the voicemail, vo- voice message, doesn't really know what's going on, but he knows somebody who used to be a missionary in the Congo. And so he calls us, hey, I have this woman to come here speaking French. I don't know what what's going on. Please come and help. Her name was Dallas Christen there in the middle. This is a couple years ago taking a picture with me, my wife and, and Ambrose when he was born. Dallas Christen shows up Here's the message and says, "Hey, I got this." Calls my mom, and ever since that day, she's been an advocate for my family. Connecting my parents together. When my sister and I came to America, she is the sponsor that got us come to America. Amen. She's been an advocate for my family. She's taken our side, helping us out. When the text says the spirit intercedes for us, he's not between us and God. Rather, he's aligning with us and saying, "I'm with these people. God, hear their prayers." Why do I say this? Look at look at the end of the verse. It says the spirit groans with us with unspoken groanings. You don't groan with somebody unless you're on what? Their side. Amen. He's saying, "I know what they're going through." They've experienced hardship, pain, brokenness. Father God, hear their yeah. prayers. Oh. The Spirit is on our side. He is our advocate and is with us. So good. That is God the Spirit. Mm-hmm. The Spirit is our advocate and is with us, not by himself, because the persons are one. The Father and the Son are also with Amen. us. About the Son, we believe the following. Let's read it together again. One, two, three. Amen. Amen. We say the son is not breathed out. He's not spirited out like the spirit. He is begotten. He is generated. Again, this is eternal, which means there's no what? Time. There's no beginning. There's no first or second. Eternally, the son proceeds. He's generated from the father eternally. No time, no beginning, The Father's not first. The Son is not first. They are equal in all things except for one of them comes out from the Father in a generated, begotten way. It's why the Son is called the image of God. Here's the point of this. Because the Son proceeds from the Father, when we see God, guess who we see? The Son. So what Jesus will tell Thomas, Thomas, if you see me, you see the Father. Which means throughout scripture, when someone has a vision, when someone has an experience with God, guess who they're seeing? The sun. Adam and Eve in the garden, walking with God. Who they're walking with? The sun. Abraham has three visitors to come and visit him. God and, three, and, two, and two angels. Guess who the God is there? The sun. Ezekiel has a vision of God. So does Isaiah. Guess who they see? The sun. Moses and 12 and 70 elders go up in the mountain to have a meal with God. Who are they eating with? The son, because the son is the image of God. Paul will say he is the image of the invisible or unseen God because he proceeds from the father. Paul reminds us in this great, amazing song in Philippians. I'm going to read it for our sake. I'm going to explain it a little bit. Paul reminds us that although being God in all glory and power and majesty, the Son humbled himself, became like us. He who is beyond creation, he who is different from all things, became a creature. I can give analogies. Imagine being a maggot for a maggot's lifetime, eating what maggots eat, doing what maggots do. It's much wider than that. He became a human. Now, We say Jesus is fully God and fully what? Man, he's not Hercules. He's not half and half. He is fully God and he is fully human. And being human, it means this. He was so human, you should say, how human was he? He is so human (laughs) that when he claimed to be God, they thought he was crazy and blaspheming. That's how human God became. He was so human, he experienced the joys and great moments of life that we experienced. The anticipation of new things, he felt it. The feeling of success, he experienced it. The frustrations of working and not seeing the fruit of your hands, he experienced it. The rejection and betrayal of friends and family, he experienced that. The fear of death and the stress of life and the worries of life, he went through that. And about death, guess what? He died. Not just any kind of death, the worst kind of death, death on a cross. I don't know if y'all seen The Passion. I watch it every single year because of where I teach. That's a fragment of what he went through on our behalf. Because of our rebellion, our rejection against God, Christ came like an older brother. In my culture of the Congo, as an older brother, I'm responsible for my siblings. Christ came to do what we could not do as our elder brother. And he died on our behalf to give us the cure, to give us life. People say he did for us what we could not do. And he died. But here's the good news. And Joshua talked about this in a couple of weeks on Easter. He didn't remain dead. See, if he remained dead, Jesus would be like any other would be Messiahs out there. No one would be different from Jesus. He died. On the third day, he rose yes. again. And in his rising again, he offers us life. Because guess what? We one day are going to die. But he offers us life. And he did this as our elder brother. God the Son, who we call Jesus, is our brother. He's our Lord. Remember the word Lord refers to Yahweh in the Old Testament. He's our Yahweh. And he has redeemed us as the one who is generated from the father he's the one that redeems us as our older brother and he does this with the father and with the spirit that's two persons the spirit the son and now we look at the father one two three So, unlike the Son and the Spirit, the Father is not breathed out, nor is he generated or begotten. So, we say he's unbegotten. Comes from or proceeds from no one eternally. Now, does that mean that he's first? No. Because there's no what? There's no time, there's no beginning. And because he's unbegotten, the Father is the one who will send the Son, who will send the Spirit in what we call the economy or creation. He's not sent. Rather, he's the one that sends them for the work of creation. And check this out. He is with them Amen. as they're going out. We call him God the Father. Take about 10 seconds. Think about your father. Think about your dad. As far as you can call back, maybe when you're four years old or three or five or six. What was your father like? What was daddy like in your life? I'm aware that some of us in here do not or have had not, have had not, English is hard, we have not had the best fathers. Some of us, our fathers were distant, hypocritical, abusive, even absent. And so for some of us, when we hear that God is Father, we cringe because we recall, we remember our earthly fathers. I'll be honest, for most of my life, I struggled with seeing that God does not want me to impress him. Does not need me to be perfect. I struggle, and I still struggle with that to this day. And here's why. Because for me, growing up, I felt like I had to impress my father. And so when I hear God being father, I'm like, oh yeah, I gotta impress him. I gotta be good for him. While that may be true of some of us in here, we also know there are some people who have had good fathers, who had dads who were involved, who are and were present in our lives, who loved us. And so while we may have had bad fathers in this room, we know out there other people have had good fathers who love us and care for us. Now, check this when we speak of God being father, we're speaking about God being a good father, a loving father. Check this out. He's the kind of father... Who, when he gets home from work, he's exhausted. He'll get on the ground and play with you. He's the kind of father who will wake you up not harshly but gently. He's the kind of father who, who sees you when you're bored, he'll chase you as a tickle monster. He's the kind of father who tickles your shoe, your, your, your feet when he removes your shoes. He's the kind of father who will wrestle with you or have tea time with you with imaginary friends and dolls. He's the kind of father who has dance parties with you. The kind of father who, when you're hungry, make good food for you. He's the kind of father who longs to hear about your good. Good and badness, even though he knows about them already. He's the kind of father who will kiss your boo-boos and owies. He's the kind of father who will discipline you to grow up not to be spoiled, but to be a good person in society. He's the kind of father who hugs you when you're sick without fear of being sick himself. He's the kind of father who cleans after your vomit. He's the kind of father who will speak to the guy, mistreating you or bullying you, and when no one stands up for you, he will fight on your behalf. Our God is a good kind of father. Now, why do I say that? In our passage today, one of them, Hosea 11. In Hosea, God tells Hosea, hey, Israel right now is going through a terrible time. They are rebelling against us. They have rejected the Lord's way and God's law. And so God tells Hosea, remind my people what I've done for them, not as God, but as a father. Check this out in, in Hosea 11, verse 1. It says, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. He tells them, Israel, the people, you're my own son. As a father, I can tell you, my son Ambrose, my daughter Mela, they act a the fool a lot of the times, but I love them. They can become whatever. Some whatever's okay. But I will love them no matter what. And God says to Israel, you are my son. Yeah. And guess what? When you were in the darkest moment of your life, I rescued you. The greatest event in the Old Testament, the greatest salvation, salvific event, Moses, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. God sends Moses to deliver them with a mighty hand from Egypt. Now, in chapter 2 of Exodus, if you have time go back and look at it, we're told in verse 23 and verse 24 that Israel is crying out to the Lord. And in verse 23 and 24, we, we, we hear this, that God heard their cry and God noticed what they were going through. And a couple of two, uh, two points here. We're told that God heard their cry. God heard their cry. Every once in a while at night, uh, let's say it's 2 in the morning or 3 in the morning, my wife would hey e. I wake up. Yeah, honey, something okay? Ambrose is crying. I'll listen. I'm like, honey, I don't hear anything. Go check on him. I'm like, honey, go check on him. So I get up in the dark room. I'm kind of walking around, probably hitting walls. And sure enough, Ambrose is crying. So I soothe him a little bit, go back in the room. I'm like, how'd you hear that? I'm a mom, she says. <laughs> right? She will hear their cry when I can't do so. Not only that. Every once in a while, Mela will pout. And we're in the kitchen. Kel's like, don't worry about it. She's just pouting. Don't worry about that. But then sometimes she'll truly cry, and Kel will be like, oh, yeah, she's really crying. Go and see her. So check this out. She only hears when they're crying. She knows the kind of crying that, that they're going through. When we're told in the Exodus that God heard Israel's cry, he knew the kind of crying they were going through. Why do I say this? Second point, not only does God hear their cry, it says that God noticed or was concerned with their cry. The Hebrew word used for notice or concern is yada. And yada is not just any kind of knowing, it's experiential kind of knowing. It's a kind of knowing that you know when you have been there yourself. Israel is suffering under the yoke of slavery. Where is God? He's not distant, Rather, he is with them in the midst of their cry as their. Father experiencing what they are going through. That's the kind of father we have. If I had to summarize that, God is our Father, and He loves us deeply and dearly. What is the Trinity? Our God is personal as our father, as our elder brother, and as our advocate. Just a reminder, since the Spirit is our advocate, I don't know what you're going through this morning. Hard week. You anticipate a hard week in the future. The Spirit is not only with you, doesn't only represent you, He's on your side. He aligns himself with you. And he's calling you. He's crying with you towards the good, towards the best. In the hardship, you're not alone. God the Spirit is present with you. Since Christ Jesus is our brother, our Lord, and master, he redeems us and offers us life. When I, was growing up in, I grew up in Dallas... The word gluten-free did not exist. <laughs> Move to, Colo- uh, to Colorado, gluten-free, sugar-free, peanut butter-free, fun-free, etc. cetera. <laughs> you can eat all those things and they're probably good for you. I, I know they're good, okay? Eat healthy foods. Gluten-free, eat all that stuff. Avoid sugar, great. <laughs> Work out five days a week. Get yolk, be wealthy, or, or not, not healthy, but, but be healthy. Doesn't matter. We are gonna face the same conclusion. We're all gonna die. Yep. Amen. As sad as that is, it's a reality. It's we cannot avoid it. Get enough sleep doesn't matter. Here's the thing Jesus offers us something. Not just life spiritually, he offers us true physical life. Not just that, he offers us a royal kind of life. I'm amazed how Americans, uh, we rebelled against England, but yet we love to watch about the royal family. I don't know why we do that, right? Here's the thing. We, if you're in Christ, you're a king. You are a queen. Because why? Christ gives you life, but it gives you a royal kind of life. To be a co-heir with him. Think about this. We will rule for eternity with Jesus. Amen. Think about that. Angels will, angels will serve you. As our brother, he offers us that kind of life. Since God is our father, he loves you. Right? For most of us, we, we think of Jesus as, as, as a loving one. He, and Jesus obviously is loving. But he's loving because his father is loving. This morning we saying, oh, how he loves us. How he loves us. That is so true. God, our Father, loves you. No matter what you've done, no matter what you're going through, no matter how perfect and pristine you are, your Father in heaven not only loves you, as someone once says, he also likes you. That is our Father. And because he's our Father, guess what it means? We're a family. Look to the person to your right or to your left and say, hey, we're family. As family, we are loved. And because we are family, we are family. I'm not going to sing. Because we're family, God is our Father. The Son is our brother, and the Spirit is our advocate with us. This is what the Trinity is. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. As the band comes up, as they lead us in one final song, and the prayer team will come up here in a second as well, if you need prayer for anything, for yourself, for healing, for, for someone else, for God to step in. I want to ask you to come up and see them because they want to pray with you. They want to join you. They want to intercede with the spirit alongside you to our God. Maybe you're in here, you say, hey, I've heard about God. I've heard about Jesus, but I've not accepted this triune God. I don't see God as my father. I don't, I don't see Christ as my brother or the spirit as my advocate." But I want to, I invite you to do the same as well. Our God loves us. Our God has redeemed us, and our God is with us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you're God alone. Not only that, but you are truly good. then the fact that you would desire, you would choose to want to relate with us creatures in our failures, in our shortcomings, you choose, you desire to make yourself known and and to relate with us and to be among us and to be in and through us. It is quite humbling. Father, may that never get old. As we leave here, Father, let these words not just be something cool that we heard on Sunday. But let it penetrate our hearts. Let it affect us. that We may live this out and embody it. Lord Jesus, we look forward to the day when you will come back. And we will rejoice with you as one big family. All this for your glory and your renown. Amen.